This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Just as Amalek came and had, and there was war with the Amalek and it was unavoidable, so it is with the Christian that with the flesh will rise up and there will be war with the flesh in his life. That's why it says a bit in the Romans 8, 7, the carnal mind is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God and it can never be. War with Amalek was unavoidable. Now, when Moses saw that Amalek was come to fight with Israel, Moses didn't say to Joshua, just ignore them, they'll go away. Just pretend they don't exist. He didn't say to Joshua, run, <laughs> run Joshua, run. No, he commanded Joshua in verse nine, Moses said unto Joshua, choose out men, go out, fight with Amalek. And tomorrow I'll stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So he tells Joshua, stand and fight, stand and fight. I'm gonna go up to the top of the hill and the, the battle's gonna be down below. I'll have the rod of God in my hand. And so that means that Moses was telling Joshua, you need to take this battle seriously. And the same with us. We need to oppose the flesh within us, its yearnings. It says in Romans 8.13, Romans 8.13 says, if we live after the flesh, we will die. But if we through the Spirit do mortify, do kill, the deeds of the flesh will live. And as many as by, are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And so this is what it means to be led by the Spirit of God. This is what it means to be the sons of God. It means to be sensitive to the evil inclinations inside of us, that Amalek, and to stand and fight against them. Don't satisfy the appetites, the evil appetites. And then we read what Joshua did. Joshua was great because he always responded like that to Moses, it says in verse 10, so Joshua did as Moses had said to him, and he fought with Amalek, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. He immediately flew into action. This is Joshua, this is Caleb, this is Joshua. There are people of immediacy. You remember that Joshua and Caleb were the two spies that represented the two tribes out of the 12 
and all the 10 other spies, they came back and, and when they went into the land later on and they brought back an evil report, an evil report when they said, well, it says in Numbers 13, Numbers 13, 26, it says they went and came to Moses and Aaron to all the congregation of the children of Israel, wilderness of Paran, and they showed them the fruit of the land. That's the symbol for Israel is two, is two spies carrying the stick with the big cluster of grapes on it. They showed them the fruit of the land. They told them, they said, we came into the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land. The cities are walled. They're very great. Moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in that land in the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites the dwell in the mountains, the Canaanites, all these ites, these termites, and he says, and Caleb stilled the people before Moses. He stilled the people before Moses. And, and this is what he said. Let us go up at once and possess it. We are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, we were not able to go up against the people. They're stronger than we. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said, would God that we had died in the land of Egypt. Would God we had died in the wilderness. More of the same. But the point is about Joshua and Caleb is that these, these were men of immediacy. They said, we will immediately obey the Lord. So when, when Moses tells Joshua, go out, stand and fight, Joshua immediately does that. Now, see what kind of a warfare Amalek waged against Israel when we saw in Deuteronomy 25, and that's why it's so important for us to look at that in Deuteronomy 25, 17, because it describes that it says, remember what Amalek did unto thee by the way when you were come forth out of Egypt? They met you by the way and smote the hindmost of thee. Even all that were feeble and that were behind thee and they were faint and weary, they didn't fear God. This enraged God. It enraged him. This shows the military tactics of Amalek. And God wanted them never forget what they did to you militarily. Twice in this passage, God spoke about how Amalek met Israel by the way so Amalek was sitting there watching Israel, and they attacked the Jewish people when they were on the road. They didn't attack them when they were settled in their camps. They didn't attack them when they were assembled for war. They didn't attack them in their cities, but they waited till they were on the way, and that's when they attacked. And they didn't attack Israel from the front or from the middle. They always attacked from the rear. Why the rear? Because that's where the weakest and the most feeble, I can't keep up the pace. I'm old, I can't walk like you, you're young. And they picked those members off. They killed those. Those are the ones that Amalek attacked. And God said, they didn't fear God. They weren't afraid of what God was gonna do. Amalek always came from behind, never face to face, and that's the reason why God told Israel, never forget that, how Amalek attacked you from the rear and attacked the most weary and the most faint in your group, the most vulnerable and that's the reason why God says, I want them totally wiped out. And that's the reason why God said, in the end of this chapter in Exodus 17, 16, Exodus 17, 16, that he personally would have war with Amalek from generation to generation because of this tactic that Amalek used of attacking the weary and the faint, and that's the tactic of the flesh. The flesh always attacks when we are most weary, when we are faint, always from the rear, the enemy of the flesh is always attacking those who are the weakest in the church. 
you know, the backslidden. All of a sudden, they stop coming to church. Then they stop coming to the Bible study. They neglect their morning quiet times. They're not gathering manna in the morning anymore. They're no longer in fellowship with Christians. Why? Because Amalek is watching. The flesh is watching. It's watching for people at the end of the line who are neglecting, and that's where he attacks. And that shows how the war with Amalek was subtle, and it shows how the war with our flesh is subtle. It's not direct. Now we see how long this war lasted here. It lasted during the day. It lasted, as we see here, it says here in verse 12, Moses' hands were heavy, and they put a stone and put it under him. He sat there on, and Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side, the other on the other side. Hands were steady. Until the going down of the sun, until the going down of the sun, Amalek fought with Israel until the sun went down. All day long, it was continuous. It, was, it went on and on, and that's what we find with our flesh. It is constantly against us, morning, noon, and night, continuously. And if a person thinks, oh, I finally got the victory over the flesh, and the flesh is not gonna attack me anymore, watch out, that's when they're in the greatest danger. Because the war with the flesh is continuous. And just as the war with Amalek was continuous all through the day, no retreat. And we're so tempted to forget that we have an unending, continuous battle with our flesh. And that's why God said, you need to write this in a book and rehearse it and don't ever forget it because it's symbolic of the war within us, the holy war against the flesh. And we should never forget we have an unending, continuous war with the flesh. And then in verse 16, I want to turn the air on a little bit. In verse 16, the Lord spoke about how long this war with Amalek's gonna last. He says the Lord has sworn he's gonna have war with Amalek from generation to generation. It's going on, it's gonna, so Joshua had war with Amalek. Saul had war with Amalek in 1 Samuel 15. David had war with Amalek in 1 Samuel 27 and 30. And you think the war with Amalek is done? Israel has war with the Palestinians who are Amalekites. Today, they're the descendants of Amalek. So the war with Amalek is unending, it's unending. And this shows our battle with the flesh is gonna never end. It's gonna continue all the way through life while we're down here on earth until one of two events happens and that event is either Jesus comes or Jesus calls. That's gonna be what's gonna finally end uh, the war with the flesh. Now, all this talk about war with Amalek, it's kind of discouraging. And it's depressing. And that's why the last part is so good because the war with Amalek was winnable. It was winnable, and that's great. And you know, I was just thinking, just thinking about that as I just said that until Jesus comes or Jesus calls, calls us home. It's so easy for us to just think, well, you know, I've got so much time on earth, and you know, it's okay. I'll, you know, tomorrow will be another day. You know, this last week, Abel who built this pulpit, Abel, his name is Abel, he's in Takati. Abel, who built those bookshelves, Abel, who built all of the carpentry work in the tabernacle, both here and in Takati. Friday night, he died suddenly of a heart attack. He was in his 50s. So as I'm sitting here at this pulpit right now, I'm thinking about that, about how soon our life can just go like that. That's why it's so important for us to be engaged with the war with Amalek, to get the victory. Don't let Amalek overcome us. 
Don't let the flesh overcome. And that's why it's so important for us to realize the war with Amalek is winnable. So Moses told Joshua, he said, okay, go out, choose out men to fight with Amalek, and I'm gonna go stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. We can imagine how Joshua told Israel, well, you go out and fight, and Moses is gonna go to the top of the hill with the rod of God. And so Israel sees Moses walk up to the top of the hill with this piece of wood in his hand. It kind of looks like an ordinary walking stick, only it was the rod of God. But they knew that that was the rod that when Moses held up, miraculous plagues happened all over Egypt, the Red Sea, they'd seen it all. But there might have been some in Israel that said, you know that rod, that's such an ordinary looking rod. It's just a piece of wood. It doesn't look like anything special. But there was a secret to winning the war with Amalek. There was a secret, and it's found in verse 11. It came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed, and when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy, so they took a stone, put it under him, he sat on it, and Aaron and Hurd stayed up his hands, the one on the one hand side and the other on the other side. His hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. So Moses goes up the hill, he's gonna watch the battle, and Moses, he kinda wants to engage himself in this battle down there below, and so what does he do? He lifts up his hand with his rod in there, and he says, no, Israel must win the battle. And the Lord seizes Moses' hand being lifted up, and the Lord makes Israel to prevail in the battle. And after Moses sees that Israel's winning, he says, well, that's good, okay, I'll let my hand down. He just thought, well, that takes care of that. Israel's gonna win the war, they'll just let my hand down. It's kind of heavy held it up there anyway. But Moses is then surprised to see that when his hand goes down, the battle reverses. And the Amalek, Amalek starts to win. So Moses puts his hand back up, and Israel starts to win again. But he gets tired, and he puts his hand down, and Amalek's up, and so he's constantly going like this, back and forth, and he realizes, oh, there's a secret here. Hand up, they win, hand down, they lose. And so he says, okay, I'll just lift up my hand. And that lasts for about 15 minutes. I don't know, maybe. Have you ever tried to hold out your hand like that? I can't even hold my hand out there for three minutes. But this goes on hour after hour. He can't do it. He can't do it. And that's when he realizes that that's when he has helpers. He's got helpers. He's got Aaron and her, and they're going to help him. So the first thing they do is they get him a place to sit down. Sit down, Moses. You shouldn't be standing the whole time. Okay, Moses sits down. And then he's got the help, and he holds out his hand, and as it begins to shake and sway back and forth because he's tired, then he drops his arm, and then Moses drops his arm, and then his assistants come. His assistants come. They set the stone, and then Aaron and Hurd, they look at each other, and they say, we gotta help him. We gotta help him. You stand on that side. I'll stand on this side. We'll take turns here. We'll hold up his hands, and so they, they did that. And they found that as long as Moses held out, either his right hand or his left hand, Israel prevailed, and when he let it down, then Amalek prevailed. That was the secret. That was the secret of Israel winning the battle. The secret to winning the battle was Moses up there on the hill holding out his hand. That really was a secret because everyone thought, no, 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 the secret to winning the war with, with Amalek is the captain, it's the general Joshua. He's the secret, he's the captain, he's the one who makes all the decisions of the battle. Everyone thought, you know, the buck stops with Joshua. And the common thought was that the secret within the battle was the brilliance of Joshua as a military commander, a planner, uh, and making the strategy. 
And they thought, the secret's gotta be with Joshua. He organizes Israel's army. He's, okay, are we gonna go in as a spearhead? Are we gonna go in as waves? Are we gonna have archers? How are we gonna do this, Joshua? So everyone thinks that Joshua is the secret to winning the war with Amalek. And so, or you could think, no, it was the choice that, Am- that Joshua made when he chose out that men. Oh, that was it. He chose out the best men. Look at those men. They're fighters. Oh, don't mess with the IDF. Those men that fought for Israel, that's the secret. No one could have imagined that the secret for Israel in winning the war with Amalek was in Moses, who wasn't even in the battle. It is on a hill overlooking the battle. And if you told the Amalekites that, you know, your war is dependent on whether this old man up on the hill holds up his hand or not, they would have said, that's ridiculous. He has nothing to do with who's gonna win this battle. Oh, but he did, that was the secret. No one could have imagined that the secret for Israel in winning the war with Amalek was whether or not Moses stretched out his hand over the battle, that was what it was. And just as the secret today is going to heaven is by trusting in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's against all conventional thinking. And if you tell people the key to whether or not you're going to heaven or whether or not you're gonna be lost or saved is whether or not you trust in the umbrella blood, the protecting blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, their response is, that's ridiculous. That has nothing to do with going to heaven. And that's because of 1 Corinthians 2.14, which says, 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. And the problem was that Moses couldn't hold his hands up alone. Moses needed help. He needed the help of Aaron and Hur. Without Aaron and Hur, Moses couldn't hold his hand out. Moses was dependent on Aaron and Hur to be able to hold his hand out. Now that's a picture. We just stand back and we look at those three persons up there on the hill. There's Moses, there's Aaron, there's Hur. And they each have a part in the winning of the battle of the war against Mamalek. And that's instructive to us. Moses holds out his hands. That's a picture of a life of prayer. That's a picture of a life of prayer. Moses must be willing to hold out his hand. If Moses is not willing to hold out his hand, then Israel's gonna lose the battle. So Moses there is us with a life of prayer. We have to be willing to enter into the battle against our flesh and to have a life of prayer. Her, her, it's interesting what his name means. Her means white or whiteness. Everything associated with her is, is holy. You know, he, his grandson is going to be Bethlehem that's going to make all the parts of the tabernacle. But this name, her, is found in Esther, in Esther 8.15 when it speaks about Mordecai wearing the royal ro- linen, the royal white linen. It's always been, so her represents purity. He represents a clean life. So here's the picture of Moses. He is dependent on her to hold up his hand. That's an illustration to us of how our life of prayer is dependent on a pure life. It's dependent on a holy life. And David put it this way. He said in in Psalm 66, 18, Psalm 66, 18, David said, if I regard, if I shelter, if I hide iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Sin is a block to prayer. Paul told uh, Timothy in 1 Timothy 2.8, 1 Timothy 2.8, I will therefore 
that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. Now, if there's sin in the life of a believer, then he's not gonna have the help of her to hold up his hands in prayer. And he may start to pray, but then he's gonna become tired, he's gonna give up prayer, and they, because that's what sin does in the life of the believer, it makes him not able to pray. Now, then there was Aaron. Now, Aaron represents the priesthood. The priesthood, and of course, he is representing the priesthood of the Lord Jesus Christ, our great high priest, as it says in Hebrews 4.14. Hebrews 4.14 says, seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace and help in time of need. So there's Aaron, he's holding up Moses' hands, and it shows us that even if we're like Moses, we have a will to pray, and we have her, we have a, a pure life. Our prayers go nowhere without the Lord Jesus Christ as our Aaron, as the one who lives, ever lives to make intercession for us. He takes our prayers, and he makes them effective. It's like he takes the rough draft of our prayers, and he polishes them up and presents them to the Father. He takes our feeble prayers, he sees our life of purity, and he makes our prayers to be answered. Moses' part, go to the top of the hill. Stretch out your hands with a life of purity. That's a challenge for us. That's a challenge to have a life of prayer. That's a challenge for us, a great hymn that Charles Wesley wrote. Great hymn, soldiers of Christ arise and put your armor on, strong in the strength which God supplies through his eternal son. Strong in the Lord of hosts and in his mighty power, who in the strength of Jesus' trust is more than conqueror. Stand then in his great might with all his strength endued and take to arm you for the fight the panoply of God. From strength to strength, go on. Wrestle, fight, pray. Tread all the powers of darkness down and win the well-fought day. Leave no unguarded place, no weakness of the soul. Take every virtue, every grace, and fortify the whole, that having all things done and all your conflicts past, you may or come through Christ alone and stand complete at last. Our part in this war with the Amalek of our flesh is to be willing to rise, soldiers of Christ arise, and no one can enter the normal Christian life without fighting the war with Amalek inside. So what we've seen here is that Israel had a war with Amalek, and this war with Amalek was unavoidable. Their strategy was subtle. It came from, they came from the rear, that in the weakest, in the faint. It was continuous, it never stopped. But thank God that war with Amalek was winnable, and that's what is being shown to us in this passage. From the time that we become a child of God, we have a war with our flesh. Just like Amalek, that war is unavoidable. We can't say, I think I'll have lunch instead. Doesn't work that way. It's unavoidable. It's subtle. It's continuous. It never stops. But thank God, it is a winnable war. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. For our Lord Jesus Christ with giveth us the victory. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.